great to be back in the book of Acts again this evening. Do, um, do open back up to what Elizabeth was reading for us earlier, and we're going to pick up uh, those verses from 17 verses 1 through to 15. Uh, Now, for those of you who don't know her, my wife, um, Heather, is a primary school teacher. Um, And the other day, one of the girls in her class was talking to her, I don't know, during a break or something, about an Oreo mug cake that she had made at home. Sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, Heather thought so too. And so, lo and behold, the next uh, time Heather was in, she was presented with this, a handwritten recipe for the Oreo mug cake. It's really sweet, isn't it? And we were excited. We were going to try this out. The first, the first instruction is a helpful one, actually. Thinking this is going to go in a microwave. Need a mug, not a plastic one. That's good, isn't it? But, but as we looked at it, as we looked at it, we did realize that we were struggling. We were struggling a little bit. How are we going to put it all together, these different ingredients, etc.? But we didn't want to give up. We didn't want to disappoint uh, this girl. So what we did in the end was we ended up looking up the recipe on YouTube. She said she'd seen it there. So that's where we went. We went to look on YouTube, and there it was. Someone walking us through, stage by stage, how you make this Oreo mug cake. Uh, And so Heather was able to go in uh, and show her a photo of her enjoying it the night before. Um, And that was great. And thinking of that, it got me thinking that when we're faced with all kinds of different tasks in life, we do find it much easier when we see someone modeling something for us, don't we? That's why these kind of YouTube videos are are so prevalent, aren't they? With these instructional videos walking you through step by step. What does it look like? And in some ways, as we turn to our passage this evening, this is the kind of thing I think we find here. We see Paul, Silas, and Timothy here modeling for us what it looks like to be faithful witnesses to Christ. Remember, right at the back of the beginning of this book of Acts that we've been looking through, Jesus said this to his disciples, didn't he? He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And here, as we pick back up again in chapter 17, we see Paul, Silas, and Timothy looking to faithfully carry on living out that task that Jesus has given them. And as we see them doing that, modeling that for us, I think that's going to be really helpful for us. Because just as there was a stage by stage in that video, we here are going to see stage by stage, step by step, what does it look like for us too? What does it look like for us this evening as we pick up that call to be faithful witnesses to Jesus in our lives? And I pray that as we see an answer to this kind of question this evening, we're going to be reminded again of a few things. First of all, of our priority that witnessing should have in our lives. It also should help us, as we said, just with this step-by-step clear idea Maybe we're daunted by this idea of being witnesses to Christ. Well, hopefully again this evening we're going to see no confusing instructions, just clear, simple, modeled for us. What does it look like from these early followers of Christ to witness to him? So as we get into this, where does it begin? 
Well, if we look with me uh, in Acts 17, the first thing, where does it begin to be a faithful witness? Well, it begins by purposefully going out with the thing that we're meant to be bearing witness to. We're meant to be going out to find people to witness to about Christ. Now, as we just before we get into this, as we work through this passage, we're going to do something a little bit different than, than sometimes we do. We're going to look at and hold these two different passages, these two different sections in parallel. We're going to consider them side by side, as it were. We've got Paul, Timothy, and Silas, first of all, in Thessalonica in verses 1 to 9, and then them in Berea in verses 10 to 15. And we're going to hold them side to side because I think what we do see here is very much the same pattern happening in both. And again, seeing something twice is helpful for us, isn't it? It encourages us. It shows us this really is a model that we can learn from and follow. So as we said, faithfully witnessing to Christ begins by going out, going out with the gospel. Look down with me then at verse 1 as we see this. If you were with us last time, chapter 16, they were in Philippi. God's been at work there, building a church for himself. And here in verse 1, we see that they go. They go from Philippi somewhere. Here's a map, hopefully you can maybe squint at and see. Um, We see uh, they pass through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they come then to Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was the capital of this province of Macedonia at this time, a city which uh, had 200,000 inhabitants, a port city, an important city. And so they go. They go here, don't they? And what do we then see them doing once they reach this city? Verses 1 and 2. They do the same that they often do when they get into a city. They go. They go into the synagogue of the Jews. That's what we read, isn't it? And though this might seem very simple, this, I think, is, of course, the first crucial thing for us to remember if we're going to be faithful witnesses too, to go with the gospel. Here are Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They've come to a new city. They don't know anything of it, really. Do you see them hunkering down here, settling in for a while? No, instead we see them, first of all, intentionally, purposefully going straight back out, don't we? Here, first of all, they go to this place where they know, because of their own Jewish background, they're likely to get a hearing for Christ. And then if you look with me, after they're forced out of this city, which we'll come to in a little moment, what do we see them doing in verse 10? If we hold this other passage, verse 10, when they come to this other city of Berea, they do exactly the same. Verse 10, they get there and they go out. They go into the the Jewish synagogue there too. And as we see this intentionality on the part of this missionary party, I think we have to stop and ask ourselves, are we doing the same in our lives? Do we have the same intentionality as they did to share and witness to Christ. Now, I know there is differences. There are big differences, aren't there? Paul and Silas here, they've been commissioned, haven't they, to go from city to city to preach the gospel. They're missionaries, as it were. We've all got lives, haven't we? Friends, family, jobs that we have to do here as well. 
But we've actually got to remember that Jesus, at the end of Matthew's gospel, as we were hearing about last Sunday evening, and then here at the start of Acts, has given us that same commission that he gave to them. That is our commission too, to be witnesses to Christ. That is what our lives should be about. And if that's the case, that is going to involve actively searching out people to speak to, to get to know, to witness to Christ too. How can we do this then, like Paul and the others here? Sure, maybe we, we at work rub up alongside other people day by day who don't know Christ. But just rubbing shoulders with them. Well, there can be a long-term impact from that, that God can use. It's not the same, is it, as actively looking to engage with, get to know, speak with people. In many ways, I think here, one of the dangers we're faced with in Northern Ireland is that we can end up spending almost all of our time, too, in little Christian bubbles. We can be here at church doing all kinds of good things. And then we can spend other free time that we have with other people from church or or other friends that we have in other churches. Again, there's so much good in that, isn't there? But before we know it, somehow we find ourselves in these little Christian bubbles. If we're going to be faithful witnesses to Christ, we need to burst those bubbles and we need to go out. We need to seek people out to witness to them. To follow Paul, Silas, and Timothy's example here, we need to be intentional, don't we? Those of you working, maybe you could find those extra 10 minutes at lunchtime for you to go out from your desk and to actually go and sit with the people who you work with. Talk with them. Listen to them. Get to know them. Those with family or friends who don't know Christ, are you going out of your way to spend time with them? Or do you find that actually they just always get bumped down that list of priorities? Or thinking, I'm aware there are some here also who are retired. What does it look like for you to witness to Christ? The reality is we never retire from this commission, do we? Whatever age we are. Is there a friend, perhaps, who you've lost touch with? Who maybe you could reach out to, have a coffee with, just look to get back alongside, get speaking with? Maybe even for any of us here, if we're realizing we're not regularly having a chance to meet with non-Christians, is there a club that we could join? Something that we enjoy doing anyway? A tennis club, a sewing club, a French or other language club, a photography club, a walking club, whatever it might be. Do you know that those are just as much mission fields for us as these synagogues were for Paul and Silas and Timothy? Take a moment, even going home this evening, to ask yourself this. What is my mission field? Where am I going out Where has God put me where I can intentionally get to know people, come alongside them and witness to Christ? And of course, this then naturally leads on to the second of the four things that we're going to see this evening of what being a faithful witness to Christ looks like. 
And from here on, we're sticking with P's. The next one, preaching the gospel and proclaiming Jesus. Look back at verses 2 and 3 again, first of all, as we see what Paul does as he goes into the synagogue. We read that on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, he's the Christ. Now again, as we see this, we have to recognize that if there ever was a place to come, to turn to the scriptures like this, where that would even be encouraged, it is in the synagogue, isn't it? As it was read. This is one of the reasons, again, why Paul heads there first. But just look again at the intentionality here. As a faithful witness to Christ, Paul knows that is going to involve speaking about Jesus. And so that is what he does week after week, again and again in this synagogue. What specifically does he say? Well, we're not given all the detail, are we? But we can get an idea. We can get an idea because he turns to the scriptures, the Old Testament, as they would have had that in front of them. And he shows them from the Old Testament there that Christ wasn't going to come to liberate them from the Jewish, from the Roman rule and oppression, like many had hoped at that time. That was the greatest hope that the Christ could come and bring about. But instead, he showed them, didn't he, that the scriptures showed that he would come and suffer and die, and then after that, rise from the dead. What's Paul doing here? He's preaching the gospel. He's reminding those in front of them that their deepest need isn't actually that political freedom that they're longing for. But actually, their deepest need is freedom from something much more oppressive, much more dangerous than Roman rule. Freedom from sin. Freedom from judgment that would ultimately fall on them apart from Christ. That is why he's saying it was was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, wasn't it? Think of an Old Testament scripture that you can think that Paul might well have gone to. Something like Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As Paul speaks here in the Jewish synagogue, he is preaching the gospel, the good news that while we are sinners, God's word showed that one day the Christ would come, and not the Christ would come to take the punishment for that sin, that we might have peace, that as he said here, that we might be healed. But of course, not just that one day the Christ would come, right? Because remember what he's been saying alongside all of this? The end of verse 3, this Christ has come. This is what he says, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. He has come. 
So not only has it always been God's plan, shown through his word that he would send this Christ, this Messiah, this chosen one to set us free from sin, from death, from judgment, but he has now also come through on that promise. He has sent his own son to do that. Now again, as we see this, look with me at how we also see Paul doing exactly the same thing in Berea. Verse 11. We don't read exactly what Paul says here, but we have this incredible image of what's going on, don't we? Of the Jews there receiving the word with all eagerness. And what were they doing? Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Again, what's Paul doing? He is speaking to them from the scriptures. He's preaching the gospel. He's proclaiming Christ. These Berean Jews, as they listened, they were there, weren't they, with their Old Testaments open. Could this be true? In both Thessalonica and Berea, what's the second thing we see Paul modeling for us? Intentionally preaching the gospel, proclaiming Christ. So as we watch on almost as this video is played out for before us, this YouTube-like video, as we mod, see it modeled, what's that going to look like for us? Well, it's certainly taking us one step further again, even from what we were thinking about earlier, isn't it? It's all well and good going out with the gospel by intentionally seeking people to get to know who don't know Christ, to get alongside them, speak with them. But we also then need to speak about Jesus, don't we? We need to preach the gospel to them. We need to proclaim Christ. Now, that word preach might put us off, mightn't it? That's what is going on right now, isn't it? Surely this is preaching. And of course, that is what we should be doing here in our church week by week, in the city center, as we proclaim the gospel. The church here, we want to be a place where the gospel is boldly clearly proclaimed every week. But the reality is that all of us can preach and proclaim the gospel in our day-to-day as well. It'll again just mean being intentional about that, having gospel conversations with people wherever we can. Now, most of us aren't necessarily talking to Jews. That's who mostly they're speaking to here, is it? Some of us may be, but the principle, I think, remains exactly the same, whoever we're speaking with in our day-to-day lives. See, the Jews at this time seem to be seeking after something that actually would not ultimately satisfy, would not ultimately meet their greatest need, this political freedom and stability. And so it is today, right? Everyone outside of Christ is doing the same. They are seeking after things in this world that will not satisfy, that will bring them peace and happiness. They think of money, family, comfort, pleasure, whatever it might be. But we as Christians need to take the time to stop to engage with people as they seek after all those other things. And then alongside them, we need to show them Christ. We need to show them and proclaim Christ to them because Christ is the one who will ultimately meet their greatest need. The one who will offer them that genuine, lasting peace and joy that they are so desperately looking for. 
as we see this modeled by Paul and the others here, here's a question. How are you and I doing at this in our day-to-day lives? It's challenging, isn't it? How are we doing at having these kind of intentional gospel conversations with people that we know? How are we doing at speaking with Christ to people? You know, in a, in a law court, that's this word witness, isn't it? You know, in a law court, there are often witnesses called, aren't there? It's a significant moment in any case. They're called on to explain what they saw and what they knew to be true about something that's happened. Take, take a car crash, for example. There's a witness to a car crash. And they get up and they take their stand and then we're, we're waiting for what they're going to say so we can understand more of it. But as they stand there, they start speaking. And they start about what time they woke up that morning. They start speaking about what they had for breakfast. They start speaking about uh, what they'd done with their hair that morning. Well, that wouldn't be a faithful witness for what they'd been called to witness to, would it? Paul's example here of being a witness to Christ has really challenged me as I've sat in this word this week. If people were pushed, what would they say that I am a witness to in my life? Based on my conversations with them. A witness to the greatness of Ipswich Town Football Club, the Toronto Blue Jays, whatever it might be, whatever sporting season we're in. That's not what I've called to be. When I'm talking with people at the school gates, I need to be quicker and not slow to speak to people about Jesus. I need to get into conversations with an aim, an aim that in this conversation I could witness to Christ. Not just hoping that it might come up, although God sometimes is gracious, isn't he? And provides those opportunities even when we're not looking for them. What about for you? Where or with whom might you have an opportunity to speak about Jesus with this week? Not, of course, that we need to bash people with the gospel every time we speak with them. That wouldn't be right either, would it? We need to get to know people. We need to show them that we care about them. We need to talk about day-to-day life. But remember, when we are telling people about Jesus, we don't need to do that in some kind of apologetic way. Remember what we're doing when we're doing that. We are sharing with them the greatest news that they will ever hear. What kind of friend or colleague would we be if we never shared that news with them? Is that us loving them, caring them, caring for them? Here's a suggestion maybe just to get started on this. Maybe at the beginning of each day, look ahead to your day. We all do it, don't we, when we wake up. What's my day holding? Yes, it's got all those jobs, those tasks, those different things I've got to do by the end of the day. But stop and just think of the people. And maybe just think of one person who you're pretty sure you are going to see that day. Maybe it's at work, wherever it might be. Think of one person and just stop. And even just at the start of the day, just briefly pray. Pray. Lord, give me an opportunity here to speak about Jesus, to witness to him.
As we do that, I think there's two things in play. That's what we do. First and most importantly, of course, it is asking the Lord, isn't it, to be at work, to give us that opportunity. We're going to need that. We need the Lord's help. But then secondly, there's also something else that happens for us. It increases our intentionality, doesn't it? As we think, this is someone I'm praying for. Looking for the Lord to give opportunities. It changes our intentions, doesn't it, in those conversations with those people. Now, the final thing to say here as we look at this little section is uh, that both, both of these cities, in Thessalonica and in Berea, we see God's word central, don't we? It's what we've seen. In both places, we read that the scriptures are being studied. And Paul, in verse 2, is described particularly as reasoning with these people with this, from the scriptures. And so as we consider what preaching the gospel, what proclaiming Christ looks like for us, it is important that we do keep God's word central in this too. Now again, this doesn't mean that in every conversation we need to directly quote a verse from the scriptures. But what we should be looking to do is get people into God's word however we can. That's why something like Hope Explored is so great that we've been putting on. It's an opportunity in a non-threatening way. You don't even have to be the one then reading the word with them. Just sitting alongside them as we all study it together. Get them alongside and open God's word because there is power as the spirit moves. Maybe there's also just somebody that you've got to know well enough that you could even just invite them to come and have a coffee. Open up one of the gospels, a portion of God's word with them too. That would be an incredible witness to Christ, wouldn't it? as a word that constantly points to him, and as a word that God promises as it goes out will not return to him empty. We should be quick, shouldn't we, to turn to it, to turn to it, to speak with others, praying that God would then use it to accomplish his purposes. Now, we could say much more, but for now, let's move on, and let's see the response now. Because this is important as we think of what being a faithful witness to Christ will look like. We need to consider what kind of response we should expect. And as we look at it here, above all, what we see is a divided response, isn't it? A divided response. Look with me at verse 4, first of all. As they take uh, Christ out, as they proclaim Christ, we read, incredibly, verse 4, some were persuaded. (laughs) And look at that beautifully. They join Paul and Silas. They join them. They join this church that's now beginning to grow, as did a great many devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And then again, look in parallel, verse 12. Similarly, what do we read in Berea? That many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. As is obvious from what we see here, Paul and the others' witness extended much further in these cities than just the synagogue, didn't it? We know from other books that he was in Thessalonica for much longer than just these three weeks. And what do we see? We see people coming to Christ, believing in him. And as we see this, we should be encouraged, I think, shouldn't we? We should be encouraged that as God's word is going out here, it is not returning to him empty. 
What we see in these cities is a testament to that. As Christ is proclaimed, we can be sure that some will come to him and believe. They will put their trust in him. But of course, this isn't the case for everyone, is it? If you look also with me at verses 5 to 9. Because there we read of some who were jealous and who do not believe. In fact, these Jews, aren't they? This is a a fascinating little passage. These Jews are so jealous, they're so offended by what's being said that that they go uh, they go out don't they they go out into the city and they just find some people some layabouts some people who are just sitting there and they get them to come with them don't they and just cause a problem cause a stir cause a mob you can imagine this riot almost starting these people not knowing what they're rioting about but but come with us we've got to have this riot they're coming out aren't they and they all march down to Jason's house He's the guy who seems to be hosting the, the missionary party. And they don't, well, they don't find him there. They then drag Jason and some of these others before the city authorities. And, and their accusations are striking, aren't they? Read them with me again. Verse 6, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. Though perhaps they don't mean to, in drumming up these charges, which is what they seem to be doing against Paul and the others, in many ways, their words are true, aren't they? Though as we read them, I think we should see them as positive. If we look back, Paul and the others really have turned the world upside down, haven't they? Because they've been witnessing to Jesus. And Jesus is turning the world the right side up again. For so many people. And while many would have been offended by their proclaiming Jesus to be the one true king, again, that is the truth, isn't it? But as we see here, as those kind of messages, as we witness to Christ, people will not always like it. And as we see this happening in Thessalonica, we then see this again in Berea. Verse 13, these same Jews come there too, and they stir up trouble, again in the city. And we can be sure that as revolutionary as the good news of Christ was to first century Macedonian culture, it continues to be that revolutionary, that countercultural today as well. Christ's kingship is just as offensive to many today, isn't it, in the I am the king of my life culture that we live in as it would have been to the culture back then. And so we should not be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves facing similar responses to this, to our attempts to witness to Christ. While we can be expectant and hope and pray that some will be persuaded, some will believe, we should also expect some to reject us, reject the message not to believe. It is sad, isn't it? But that is the reality of all of our hearts. We are all so quick on our own just to reject Christ's kingship in our lives, as good as it is. So how does this divided response that we see here in these two cities speak into our main question again this evening? What being a faithful witness to Christ looks like? 
Well, I think it directs us towards two more things, our final two Ps. And both of these are going to be a bit briefer, so don't worry, we're, not, we're, we're coming towards the close. First, from what we've just seen here, and in particular from these responses, I think we have to learn that being a faithful witness to Christ will also look like being those who are praying. Who are praying that God would prepare people's hearts and work in them as we share Christ. If you look with me again at verse 11, I think this is the verse that encourages us in this way. See with me there, there, that as Paul and Silas preached the word, we read that even more so than in Thessalonica, the Jews in Berea received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And as we read those incredible words, they are incredible, aren't they? Notice that there is no difference here given in how Paul has preached the gospel. That isn't the difference. He seems to have done the same in both of these two cities. It is just that it seems that God has made these Jews those who were ready to receive it, who were receptive to Paul's words, who were eager for them even. And this just reminds us, doesn't it, that as we've said before, as we saw last time out in Philippi, it isn't ultimately on us whether people come to Christ or not. It is the Lord who is above that. It is the Lord who opens blind eyes. It's the Lord who causes hearts of stone to turn to hearts of flesh. And so as we witness, we need to pray, don't we? Even tonight, or sometime this week, maybe you could write down the names of five people. Five people in your life who come to mind who do not know Christ. These are, these are mine as I was preparing. Five people. Why not join with me then as we just present those people before the Lord? Put that in a Bible that you're going to look at each day or your prayer journal, wherever it might be. Just commit to day by day, week by week, praying for those people. That God would be causing them to be like these Jews in Berea. That's a great prayer, isn't it? Cause them to be like these Jews who would receive the good news of Christ with eagerness. And that ultimately then they would come to put their trust in him. And then our final P in what it looks like to be those who are faithful witnesses to Christ. To follow Paul and Silas and Timothy's example, their model for us. That is to persevere persevere in witnessing to Christ even through discouragement and even despite opposition. This is what we see time and time again in this section of Acts, isn't it? It is incredible when we stop and think about it. Back in Philippi, Paul and Silas, what had they been? Beaten and imprisoned. Yet what do they do as they go on from there? They come to this city of Thessalonica and they share the gospel again. Their desire to share it is as strong as ever. And the same again then in Thessalonica, as we see here. They're run out of town, basically, aren't they? The believers have to, to send them away for their own safety. And what do they do? Well, they go straight on to Berea, and they preach the gospel again there as well. And when Paul faces the same opposition again, as we read in verse 13... 
And again, he's have to be sent off by these Christian brothers. It's a, it's a running theme, isn't it? What are we going to see next week? We're going to see Paul deciding to give up, deciding it's not worth it. No. What do we see next week? We're going to get into this. He comes to Athens, and what does he do there? He preaches the gospel. He proclaims Christ. There is no promise that being faithful witnesses to Christ will be easy. In fact, as we've seen this evening and from this example, we can expect it not to be. We can expect it at times to be downright discouraging. We can expect it to be hard. But as we come to a close here, just think with me of the eternal impact of Paul's perseverance here. Just think of the eternal impact for these people in these cities. Think of Thessalonica. Think of Berea. Those who came to Christ. If Paul and the others had packed it in, had given up after that experience in Philippi, it's been so bad it is not worth it. And as a result, these people hadn't heard of Christ. What hope would they have had? None. Instead of coming to put trust in Christ as their saviour, to find in him the one who does satisfy, to find in him the one who does pay their debt, they would have been left to face the just judgment of God on their own with eternal consequences. Paul's perseverance in faithfully witnessing to the gospel changed eternity for those who listened who heard the word and received it. Let's follow after his example here as a church and us as individuals. Let's not give up when discouragement comes, when someone rejects the message. We should expect that. Let's not give up when opposition comes our way. Instead, remembering the many who are still out there in our city who are lost, who are in darkness, who so desperately need hope, Let's persevere. Let's pray. Let's get out there and proclaim Christ to them. Let's follow the model that Paul, Silas, and Timothy have given us here. Let's be faithful witnesses to Christ right to the end. That the hope of the gospel would go out and people would come to him. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do have such good news in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives, that you have brought us to know him. Lord, would you cause us to again rejoice in that gospel here this evening? And then remembering that eternity-changing work of Christ in our hearts, would you help us to be quick? to be those who will go out and share that same good news with those people around us. Lord, we've been thinking this evening of how we might do that. Lord, you know the different situations, the different places that you've put us in. Lord, it is exciting to think that in this room here, as we go out this week, there are so many different workplaces, neighborhoods, homes that you will be putting us in. Lord, would you please open doors for us to be faithful witnesses to Jesus. Help us to be quick to speak of him, not slow. 
Lord, help us to love those around us by sharing the good news of Christ. And even as we go on from here, give us prayerful hearts too. Lord, we know that we cannot change people's hearts and minds and lives. It is you who do that. So Lord, we ask that you would please just call to mind those who we come into contact with regularly. Help us then to be faithful and pray for them and then take every opportunity that we have. Lord, we just long that this gospel would go out so that like we see here in Thessalonica, in Berea, many would come to know Christ, find their hope in him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to close by singing this song, You're the Word of God the Father. And really, this song gives us a great glimpse of the gospel, doesn't it? Because we rejoice in Christ. It is him who we want to bring to the nations. And the last two lines of the, the final verse says this, from each tribe and tongue and nation, you are leading sinners home. That is what we see here, and that is what we can be confident that Christ is still continuing to do today in our city as well. Let's stand and rejoice and sing.
And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.